All right, turning your Bibles to Psalm 128, we kind of tell you where we're at. We finished the book of Romans last week. I don't know if maybe Chris can tell me how long it was. I don't know how long it was. It's quite a while. And uh, I've been praying about a new book to start. I'm not, don't have the answer to that yet. The verdict is still out. But I'm starting a series. I know it's going to take at least three Sundays called The Blessed Life. And I know what you're thinking. I preached this series right before COVID on being blessed by God, and then we all went into deep suffering, didn't we? I mean, every one of us. Uh, Cindy got cancer after that. I mean, I could go around the room and see the families and the stuff that we went through, but I want to, I was just praying this week and talking to the Lord about this, and I just declared before the Lord, even though we all went through a lot of suffering, we still do the favor of the Lord and the hand of the Lord through all that time or we wouldn't even be here today. Amen? Amen? And so God's put this on me. I didn't go searching for this. You know how I am when I preach something. I believe the Lord led me to it, and this is going to be a, a short series on the blessed life. Okay? So uh, just hang on. Don't get scared. God knows what he's doing. And uh, we'll start today probably three messages. And then I'm praying about doing a, a series, a short series out of Psalms. Uh, about the song of ascents, which I'll explain to you in just a minute, about 15 psalms that we may look at before we start our next book. So that's kind of where we are. Hope you found your way to Psalms 128. Let's wear out some new pages in your Bible because I'm sure Romans is pretty, uh, pretty wore down a little bit. So let's move over to Psalms for a little while. Uh, if you see at the top of, in your Bible at this uh, Psalm chapter 128, it says a song of ascents. You see that? That is not a footnote by the, the printers of the Bible or an editor of the Bible. They, those words are actually in the original language. They are a part of Scripture. Uh, it, these psalms that are called a song of ascents encompass Psalms 120 the Psalms 134, they all say that at the beginning, it is 15 Psalms, or I could say it this way, it's 15 songs, okay, it's, these are songs, uh, the words song of ascent means steps that go up, that's literally what it means, steps that go up, and so these songs, most of them are three to nine verses in length, so they're very short in length. Most of these songs would have been memorized by everybody in Israel. Even the children would have memorized these songs. Um, and so if you, if you understand uh, geographically where Jerusalem is and where Zion is, if they said Mount Zion, that is to say the mountain that the temple of God sits on top of. And so if you were gonna go to Jerusalem from Jericho, you would go uphill to Jerusalem, and then you would go up even further to Mount Zion, where the temple of the Lord would sit. Both of these are on mountains. And if you were going from Jericho to Jerusalem to Mount Zion, it is about 45 miles. If you were going to walk, it would take you approximately two days. It would be a winding road uphill all the way the elevation change would go up 3,400 feet, so that's, that's pretty steep. And you're going up to God's house. You're going up to worship, up to the temple. So when you got there, your legs would be sore. Your, your legs would be hurting. Now, I, I find it kind of interesting. Sometimes if you sing a long song set before worship, you ever 
experience that. Like, let's say we break out next Sunday, because it was good today. Let's break out next Sunday and we sing four or five songs. I, I would look around the room and see some people starting to sit down. Like, oh, my leg, I don't know what these people are thinking. My legs are getting tired and some of you be sitting down. Imagine walking 45 miles uphill to worship the living God. Okay? You got that in your mind? Your legs are sore. You've already broke a sweat. You've already gotten weary. Kids are already whining. You know, how much further? And then you get to the house of God. And so that's what these songs are about. It would have been so steep, a lot of the grandparents and even some of the children would have been either had to carry them or put them in some kind of wagon to get them there. But three times a year, as you know, Israel would go up there during their feast celebration. Three times a year, everybody would go all at the same time. They'd all travel together up to the, the Mount Zion, to the temple of God. And so imagine this large group of people walking up the mountain towards the place of worship. And on their way, they would be singing, going to church, singing. And so they're going to church, singing, and this is their songbook. These 15 songs of ascent would have been their songs that they would sing on the way to church. So I want to encourage you dads and moms, you've been looking for some more memorization for the young kids. This is a great place to start, these 15 psalms. Uh, have your children memorize them. You say, well, we can't sing. My family can't sing either. Titus and Abigail are getting along pretty good now, but the rest of us can't. Uh, but you can memorize them just the same. It's God's Word, and these are great psalms. And so let's just look at Psalm 128. This is one of the songs of ascent. Look at verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And so the whole main point of Psalm 128 is those who fear God are blessed. Do you see that in the first phrase? Those who fear God, they're blessed. They're happy. Let me give you some, some verses about the fear of the Lord. Job 37, verse 5. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. And this should be the cause, fearful trembling before him as the king of glory, he says. Jeremiah 5, 22 through 25. Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? Who have placed the sand as a bound of the sea by perpetual decree, that it cannot pass beyond it. And though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. But this people has a defiant and rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. They do not say in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God who gives rain, both the former and the latter in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good from you. Do you see that last Last sentence, your iniquity have turned these things away and your sins have withheld good from you. It's like God had good things he wanted to give you, but he didn't give it to you because you were living in a rebellious condition and not fearing the Lord. The king of Israel says in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, he appeals to the work of creation and calls Israel to see it and fear because of it. To see the works of God's hand and be afraid because of it. In Jeremiah Chapter 10, he says, Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, you are great. Your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? 
For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. And then out of uh, several different passages, the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is feared above all the gods. For all gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. In Psalms 2.11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Rejoice with trembling. You ever get so filled with praise, so filled with worship, that you tremble as you see the mighty hand of God working in your life or in your family in some way. For the unsaved, the fear of God is a fear of the judgment of God and of an eternal death and a separation from God. For the saved, the fear of God is something different. I'm going to try to real quickly give a summation of the fear of God. And I prayed all week about this, asked God to, to help me with this. And uh, maybe it'll make some sense to you. But for the for the saved, the fear, the fear of God is an understanding about who God is. An understanding that God is in charge of everything. And so the fear of God starts just as, as it is stated. It starts with a fear. A holy fear of the living God. It, it's similar to our parenting we, that we talk about when you're parenting. If you have little children like birthed up to age five. You're, you're disciplining them and a lot of times it's out of fear. A lot of times they're not, sometimes they're not old enough to understand the instruction they're giving you, but men as fathers, they do it because they know you're the man of the house and there's a, there's a bit of fear in their little heart because they know there's consequences if they don't do certain things. But then as your children get older, it, it has to transition from fear into love and respect. And that transition doesn't happen overnight. That transition takes years and years to happen. And, it, and it, it, sometimes it goes back and forth. There wasn't enough love and respect given, and so you take them back to the fear wagon. You know what I'm talking about? You take them backwards. We're going backwards today. You're going you're gonna <laughs> to love and respect me out of fear because you weren't loving and respecting me, if that makes sense. So it's a transition that takes time and years to, to happen. But with Christians... We start out just fearing God because he's the king and he made everything and he made me and I've got no control and he's got all control. But there's a time in our lives when that transitions over into just a, a holy respect of God and a love for God. And, and look at verse 1 again. It says, blessed are those who fear the Lord who walk in his ways. When you know it's transitioned into this respect, love, relationship, it's when you desire to walk in his ways. You just want to do what you know God wants you to do. That's when that transition has happened as a Christian for you. Uh, when my dad was growing up, he didn't give us a lot of uh, direction. He didn't tell us a lot of things. He, uh, he just kind of let us be. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. He just did it. But on those few occasions when my dad told us something to do, I just did it. I don't know how... My dad got this respect. There's four, four boys in our family. But all my brothers, we talked about this. If daddy said something, we, we just did it. We never discussed it again. We never, he didn't have to be with us again. Uh, one of the things my dad told me, I remember, I, I never did the same again. Can, can I use you just pick on me? You're, you're going to be my girlfriend, okay? <laughs> my dad saw me hug a girl like this one time. Just like this. Okay, you said that. <laughs> he said, son, don't ever hug a girl like that again. You just don't look right. 
I don't know why, but I never hugged a girl like that again. I never did. You can ask Cindy. I don't even really hug a girl like that today. Because Daddy said, don't do it. And I have deep respect for my dad. I never did it again. There's just some things when you transition into this fear of God relationship with God where you love Him and you respect Him, if there's something you know God does not want you to do, you won't do it. If there's something you know God wants you to do, you'll just do it. It says He walks in His ways. You, you've understood the kind of things that God expects out of you, and you do it now. And so you live with this fear of God on your life, this living respect of God. You're living like God's risen from the grave, and He's alive and He's present with you, and He's watching you, and He's in charge over you, and He's worthy of your life, and so you're just going to do what you believe God has shown you He wants you to do. That's the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's where wisdom starts in your heart. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, let me read this to you, talks about the fear of the Lord. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and cling to Him, and you shall swear by His name. He is your praise. He is your God who has done these great and awesome things for which your eyes have seen. In other words, when you got saved and you begin to see God work in your life, see that last part? Your eyes have seen it. You begin to see God work in your life and God do things, things that seemed impossible, God comes through. Things you didn't know how you were going to turn, turn to the right or the left, God guided you left. You, know, you with me? And so you've seen God do these things throughout the course of your Christian life and you learn to trust Him, you learn to love Him, and so you have this ongoing fear of God that guides you to want to be the man that God wants you to be. To want to be the husband that God wants you to be. To desire to be the father that God wants you to be. I believe every person who's truly saved, I'm talking to men now, every man who's truly saved, deep in their heart, this is their desire. I want to be the husband God wants me to be. I want to romance my wife. I want to be the father that God wants me to be. I want to be the Christian. I want God to use my life for his purposes. That's the reigning power of the fear of God in a man's life. So let's go on. We're going to look now at what he blesses. He says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walk, walks in his ways. Number one, he's going to bless your work. Look at verse 2. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. God's saying, if you fear the Lord, He's going to bless your work. Your work is going to be blessed. Look at it, verse 2. You're going to eat the labor of your hands. In other words, you're going to get to go work, and then with that work money, you're going to eat. And that food is going to taste so good because you worked, and then you got to eat. Does that make sense? I'm experiencing this now. My, my four are adults now. And uh, they're working and they're buying way more of their, not all of it yet, but they're buying way more of their food than they've ever bought. And I hope they're enjoying it. I'm, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I'm enjoying my food, I'll say that. I hope they're enjoying their food. 
It's, it's when you work and then you get to enjoy the food that comes with it. It's where the word that we say, let's say the blessing. That's, this is where this kind of thing comes from. You're eating because God has blessed your work and then you're blessing God for the food that he's given you. It goes on, verse 2, you will be happy. The word happy there is the same word blessed. Uh, I wish they translated it the same. It's the same word in the original language. You will be blessed if you are working. Your work will be blessed and you will be blessed. The end of verse 2, and it shall be well with you. It's, it's the word good. It, your work will be good. You enjoy your work. Your happiness will not consist in how much you get out of your work, but in enjoying what you get to do. Uh, maybe it's who you're with. Maybe it's the hand of God on your work. I mean, it, it is the blessing of God on your work. Now, I may not be describing that very well, but let me help you here. If God was blessing your work, you know it. And if God's not blessing your work, you know it. You don't need any, you don't, you can tell me later. You can say, right now I'm going through a season, it's tough. Or you may say, the Lord is blessing my work. Praise God for God's blessing on my work. Number two, your wife is a blessing. Look at verse 3. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. She'll be like a fruitful vine. She will make you happy. She's in the center of your house. Y'all, do you remember the little saying, happy wife, happy life? <laughs> you know, not, the Bible often repeats the opposite of that. Not a happy wife, not a happy life. It says you'd be better off to live in the corner of a rooftop. Or it says she could be like a continual dripping on a rainy day. Uh, but for that man who's fearing the Lord, your wife will be a blessing. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 14 says, Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers. But a prudent wife is from the Lord. I often tell men this. You have a you have a awareness of God's grace, that is God's favor for you because Jesus died on the cross for you. But if you have a great wife, according to this verse, that is a tangible evidence of the favor of God on your life. Men who are here who have a great wife, I'm just going to say every man, you better do this, what I'm about to tell you, okay? But men who are here who have a great wife, put your hand over there on your wife right now, if you can reach her. Put your hand on your wife. That is an evidence of the blessing of God in your life. That woman right there. That's, that is what that verse says. Houses and riches can be an inheritance from your father, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. God has done a work in your life if he gave you a good wife. Number three, your children are a blessing. We see this also in verse three. The end of the verse, your children are like olive plants all around your table. They're like this fresh, green, spreading, fruitful olive plant uh, all around the table. Not prickly thorns, <laughs> harmful, hurting thorns. No, an olive branch all around your table sitting and eating and conversing with you. Is the, the table <coughs> picture in the Bible is often a picture of harmony and unity. That's why it's great to have family meals together sit around the table, have conversations together. That family table was a, was a testimony of harmony and unity and the presence of God. We, I, I could go more into that, but I'll, I'll skip it for now. 
And then number four, look down in verse six, you will see your grandchildren. Yes, may you see your children's children. He doesn't say anything here about your children's children, your grandchildren, other than because you fear the Lord, you'll get to see them. Because I don't have any yet, but I understand as a grandparent, that is one of the greatest blessings there is to get to see your grandchildren. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For God is a consuming fire. Fear the Lord and you'll find happiness. Fear the Lord and you'll find blessing in your marriage, in your work, in your children, and in your grandchildren. Oh, our, our generations that we live in today have moved far away from the fear of God. Are you aware of that? We've moved far away from the fear of God. And we went through a, a couple of generations there where we tried to turn this into an accountability thing where brothers come alongside brothers and hold each other accountable because I think the spiritual leaders in those generations, it was right before my generation and part of my generation, I think the spiritual leaders then understood that the fear of God was falling away and we needed some help. And they brought up a lot of verses like iron sharpens iron and things like that that's true, trying to get men to hold other men accountable and, and restore this, this view of God, this fear of God, so that we could be blessed as Christians. But I want you to know in these days that we live in, in the generations of the day, even that accountability is far gone. Far more is done in secrecy than ever before. The ability to do things secretly and behind closed doors and in the privacy of a computer or a cell phone is higher, higher increasing this loss of a fear of God than ever before. But those who fear the Lord will be blessed in their lives. I have two points of application. Number one, I want to speak to you about the discipline of God. I struggle with this because um, a lot of times we don't preach on the discipline of God because people can twist it and, and really get it wrong if you don't really pay attention. So I want you to pay attention for the next little bit, if you would. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6 says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. He says two things in there when he's talking about the Lord disciplining us, he says, do not despise the Lord's discipline. That means have a little regard for it. And he says, do not be discouraged by the Lord's discipline. If you have the King James Version, it, it's translated like this, do not faint, <laughs> you know, like, fall out. If God shows up in your life one day and it is very evident to you that that is the disciplining hand of God, he says, do not faint. Do not be surprised by it. Do not be discouraged by it. Because he says, whom the Lord loves. Do you see that? Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges every son who he receives. In other words, 
it is an evidence that you're really saved. If you're saved and you can go on living in sin and far away from God, it is an evidence that you are not saved. Did you catch that? But if you are saved and you turn away from God and you remove this fear of God that we've been talking about, not only are you going to lack the blessing of God, but if you don't experience the discipline of God, there's something wrong with your salvation. It may not be real. I'm going to talk about the discipline of God in, in two categories. The first thing I'm, going to talk, thing I'm going to talk about is the worst of it. Say that with me. The worst of it. The worst of it. I want you to understand that the worst of it is separation from God. It is to be separate from God where God is at a distance from you. Now I'll make it very clear. He did not leave you. You left him. I would be I would be a, in error if I in any way made you think God leaves you because it is the one thing in the Bible that God says over and over. He repeats it redundantly three times. I will never, never, never leave you or forsake you. He does not leave you if you're his child. He will not walk away from you if you're his child. He will not turn his back on you. The Bible often in the Old Testament says it like this. He never sleeps nor slumbers. They want you to know that God's eyes are always on you. God's attention is always on every minute detail of your life. He knows what's going on. He knows what you're going through. He knows where you're hurting. He knows where you're happy. He does not ever leave you. But we do leave him. Don't we? And so for, for you to experience this separation of God uh, under the discipline of God, here's what happens. I think God just allows you to leave him for a minute. He doesn't leave you, but he just allows you because you don't want any part of him during this season of your life and you just want to go your own way. He kind of just lets you go your own way. That's why I said at the beginning and had you repeat, this is the worst of it. You are far from God and it is by your choosing. You are alone and without God, but it is by your choosing. You're like the prodigal son. You wanted what you could get and you wanted to leave the father and go far away from him and get what you wanted to get. And if you are here today and you're far away from the Lord and you've walked away from the Lord, here's what's happening in your life. You're more in tune with the whispers of the devil than you are the whispers of the Spirit of God. And the devil whispers lies. He whispers lies, nothing but lies. You're also more under the control of your own reasoning. You're trying to reason things out logically and make intellectual, logical decisions, but you're missing the wisdom from heaven and you're missing the voice of God. You don't know what it's like any longer for God to speak in your life and God to direct you. You don't know what to do. You don't have direction. And you're often gripped with fear, consumed with doubt, and possibly even depression. God is letting you be at a distance from Him because you wanted to be at a distance from Him. And what's going to happen, the reason this is the worst, is because as you're far away from God doing your own thing, actually let's call it what it is, committing sin, then sin is going to run its course in your life. In the Bible, he calls this foolishness, and he compares it in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, to a dog returning to his vomit. He says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his father. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go into that imagery a little bit further. Uh, 
my dog used to do that. He would eat something he wasn't supposed to eat. It wasn't good for him. And he would go over there and, and spit it up. He'd walk around or run around for a little while. And you know what he'd do? He'd come back and try to eat it again. He's like, boy, that wasn't too good going down or coming up the first time. But I think I'll try to do that again. I didn't learn anything. That's a fool. That's what the Bible says as a fool. You, you went and you tried to live in sin for a while. You didn't really get anything from it. It cost you a whole lot. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't really see the, the hand of God's discipline in my life. Nothing's really happened. Everything's still going all right, it seems. I think I'll go try to do it again. I'll repeat my folly. This is what the Bible calls sowing and reaping. This is when the Bible compares sinning to sowing and reaping. It says, you will reap what you sow. God has allowed you to walk away from Him. He's allowed you to stay over there for a little while. But you're going to experience the consequences of your own sin. You're going to reap what you have sown. Sin will run its course. And you'll have its consequences. And I want to say again, this is the worst. This is the worst kind of God's discipline. Now I want to talk to you about God's discipline when He actually gets involved in your life. And this is where you may or may not be far from God, but God is there actively operating in your life out of love. Out of love, He's going to do some things in your life to get your attention and to bring you back to Himself. I think generally this takes place by losing something. Something is lost. Something is taken away and you are reminded of how good it was to be with God and you come back to God. And as you're started back to the, to the Lord, the father comes running. If you remember the story of the prodigal son again, when the prodigal son comes to himself and he says, I think I'll go back to my father's house. I could be a servant there and be better off than I am here. And when he gets to where the father can see him, the, that story is about God. It's more than about God than it is about us. The, the Father in that story is a picture of God. And it says the Father sees him coming and the Father comes running and puts a robe on his back and a ring on his feet, feet, finger and says, I'm glad you're home. That's what God does. He comes after you and, and you may lose something, but it's to get you to come back to him. I want to say this to you. Not all loss is discipline. I think I had that as a point because I want you to not be confused here as I speak on the discipline of God. Not all loss is discipline. Not all sickness is discipline. Life is hard. We're going to go through some hard things. Some of it will come from the devil. Some of it will come from God. And some of it happens because there's sin in this whole world. Did you get that? Get that clearly. Some of it will come from the attack of the devil. The devil could attack your marriage. God could cause a hardship that happens, but you could also be experiencing something just because this world is consumed with sin and evil and it's, it's hard. It's hard. I want to encourage you, don't ever tell somebody or even suggest to somebody that what they're going through is discipline from God because if you do that, you'd be like the devil, first of all, and you'd also be like Job's friends who were wrong in the Bible. We went through the book of Job. They were wrong, kept coming saying, Job, you must have done something wrong. And it was clear Job hadn't done anything wrong. Cindy just went through cancer. And she she admitted that early in she wondered, you know, what, what 
could I have done? Don't mean she's done something wrong. As hard as cancer was, we don't we sure don't want to do it again, I'll tell you that, but there's been a lot of blessing out of that. Don't tell somebody, it's not your place to tell somebody maybe God's disciplining you. Don't ever do that. If somebody's being disciplined by God, they may or may not be conscious, aware of themselves enough to say, Oh my, the Lord is disciplining me. But they will, if they're experiencing, experiencing the true discipline of God, they will suddenly come back to God. That's what will happen. They'll suddenly turn back to God. And God knows exactly what it takes to teach all of us, or to help all of us, or to discipline all of us. Just like I know my four children. I knew, I knew as they were growing up, they could have done the same thing that was wrong, all four of them. And each one may have taken a different disciplinary measure to get them to return to the place they need to be. You parents know that, don't you? They're different. God knows us even better than we know our children. I'm going to illustrate the discipline of God by, by using a car. I, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. But I'm going to illustrate the discipline of God by using a, a car. It's not 100% accurate in every detail, but I just this is something I wanted to share. The first kind of discipline it's going to get from gradual to worse is, is a dead battery, okay? You just, you're drifting away from God. You need to come back to the Lord. Uh, and if, if you were a car, okay, you get a dead battery. What's a dead battery mean? You need a jump. You need somebody else to pull over beside you, hook their jumper cables up, and, and give you a jump. And this is the kind of discipline where it doesn't take much for you. God just kind of shakes you a little bit and Justin comes to me and he's, he's like, John, I need to tell you something. I'm, I'm struggling in this area. And I give him some encouragement. And we kind of love on each other a little bit and talk about the Lord a little bit. And, and he returns to the Lord. Just, just a little bit back. No big deal. All right? The next kind of car problem might be a flat tire. It's like a flat tire. When you get a flat tire, guess what? You're not going anywhere. And this is the kind of person who's in life. And all, all of a sudden, when they in their life, they realize... It doesn't seem like I'm getting anywhere. I'm not getting anywhere in my relationships. I'm not getting anywhere in my work. It just seems like I'm not going anywhere. You just got a flat tire. And, and the Lord uses this, this awakening that you're not going anywhere to say, come on home. Come back to the Lord. And you return to Him. The next kind of car problem might be that, that you're out of gas. I have picked somebody up this week who had run out of gas and and drove them down to the gas station. It was quite a ways. But when you're out of gas as a car, that means you got a long walk ahead of you. you got to walk it off and think about it. And for this kind of person, God just puts you alone somewhere, just walking, or maybe it's some sort of breakdown where you're all by yourself and you're just having to think about, where am I really at with God? And you come to yourself and you say, I, I need to return to the Lord. And you come on back to Him. Now, we're getting more extreme in each of these. The next one is a wreck. <laughs> you know, you smash into a pole or a wall or another car. It's a wreck. It's a, it might be a small wreck. It might be a big wreck. But it is a sudden jar that wakes you up and says, Hey, I need to return to the Lord. I, I need to wake up. Now, this is the worst kind of all. Even a big, God knows you enough to even know that if you were in a big wreck, and had some tragic accident, you still wouldn't wake up. And so, in this case, 
Somebody you love actually suffers. Somebody you love actually suffers, and that gets your attention. That's the worst kind. I know what you're thinking. Some of you think, well, Lord, I'm that guy. I'm suffering for them to get right. I know it's me. I'm, I'm the one doing all the suffering so my brother can get right. What's the point in all this? The point is, no matter what your loss is, the discipline of the Lord is out of love, and there's no better blessing in all the world than to be right with the living God. You're going to go through hard things and difficult things, but if you are walking with the Lord and you're with Him, He will carry you. You will rest in His arms and rest in His presence. I hope that's not too confusing. I don't want you to look for God's discipline by every wrong that happens in your life. But if you ask me, said, John, have there been something that's happened in your life before and you have known Without a doubt, that was the discipline of God, and he was calling you back. I have had that happen. Not a lot of times, but I have had that happen where something happened that I didn't like, and I knew it was God saying, John, come back. Get, get, get close to me again, because you're walking away from me. The discipline of the Lord. Number two, an application. Your worship of God is blessed. I, 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 Take us back to verse 5 in our passage in Psalm 128. Look what he says in verse 5. The Lord bless you out of Zion, and may you see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. You know what that means? That means church is good for you. If you're living in the fear of the Lord, church is good. Look what he says, out of Zion and out of Jerusalem. Remember what we talked about at the beginning of this message? You walked up to Jerusalem, then up to Zion, and where were you going? You're going to the house of God. He says all the days of your life, church is good. You're getting to worship God, and God's filling your worship time with a joyful experience as you declare the glory of the Lord. You come into God's presence often, not just at church, not just here on Sunday, but you often come into God's presence with great praise in your heart, declaring how great your God is. So grateful are you before Him. So aware of his presence. So aware of his blessing. This is not in a, in a working way. In other words, it's not something you're striving for. You're, you're experiencing what God is already giving you. You're experiencing his presence because you're walking with him. You're experiencing his direction. You know which way he wants you to go. You're experiencing his wisdom. He's helping you make decisions. You're experiencing his power. You see his power in your life. In the area of work and marriage and fatherhood, you see the, the hand of God giving you strength to know right from wrong and make good choices and do the right things. And these are evidences of the work of God in your life. And because you've seen the work of God in your life, you're aware that He is worthy and your heart is filled with praise. But look again, again at verse 5. It says, The Lord bless you out of Zion. That word for bless in verse 5, I want you to circle it. And then circle the word bless in verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. And then it's also the word blessed in verse 2. It says you shall be happy. That's the word blessed. But those first two words blessed in verse 1 and verse 2 are not the same blessed word in verse 5. It's a whole different word. The, the two words for blessed in verse 1 and 2, you can kind of draw a line in your Bible and put those two together. They are both one directional. 
They're both from the Father of Heaven down to you. It is God blessing you. Him doing something in your marriage, with your children, in your work. It is the hand of Heaven coming down on your life and blessing you. But the blessing, verse 5, is two-directional. It comes down towards you, and then it also goes back towards heaven. It has in it this, this, this process of God blessing you, and then you blessing God. I'm going to try to give you an illustration of this. I was studying this week about the, the word fall, okay? We, we say if somebody, if they fall into some great sin, you ever heard this say, they, they, you'll say, he fell. You ever heard that? He fell in sin, or she fell in sin. I was looking at where this word fall comes from, and it is a primarily from Jewish terminology. And it had to do with men, when they would sin before God, they had to go back up to the mountain, up to the temple, and they had, fathers, it would have been your job, you would have to lead another lamb up there before God, and you would have to fall on your knees again as you sacrificed that lamb. And, 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 you know, I don't know if you ever feel like this, but I feel like this and say, it's me again, God. <laughs> I, I've done it again. I need you to forgive me again and, and lay out your sins before him as you're falling there on your knees before him and ask for his forgiveness again and ask for his mercy again and then make that trek back down the mountain. Then a day or two later, you know, you're leading that lamb back up there again. No peace until you get back up to his house again. And you're up there with that lamb again. And you fall on your knees again. And you say, Lord, that's me again. I need forgiveness again. I need, I need you to cleanse me again. I need mercy again. That's where the terminology of falling comes from. But when you read this word bless in verse 5, it has a two-directional connotation. It has to do with God letting his blessing fall down on you, and then you fall down on your knees. It literally means, in some sense, falling on your knees before God. And so in this case, I'm going up to the mountain with my land before God because I am aware that God has just done a mighty work with my crop. <laughs> I planted a little bit of corn, didn't even know if it was going to grow, hadn't had much sun, hadn't had much rain, and whoo, look at the corn I'm bringing in today. And I'm so aware of the hand of God on my crop. I say, look, family, I'm going to be gone this afternoon. I'm going to go get me a lamb. I'm going up the mountain. I'm going that trek up to the house of God. And I'm going to fall on my knees. And I'm going to bless the living God because I can see the hand of blessing in my crops today. It has the connotation of you being so aware of God's intervention in your life, so aware of how God's operated in your life, that you come to God in this instance, not saying, God, it's me again, forgive me of my sin, but you're so aware of how full your worship has been, how full you've been resting in the arms of God, how much the hand of God has been guiding you and directing you and giving you wisdom and operating in your marriage and operating in your children's lives, not because you're coming to church today because you've sinned this week, but you're coming to church today because you've seen the blessing of God this week and you want to bless God back. And so this time you fall on your knees. And this time you may have weeped before when you were in sin, but this is a different kind of weeping. This is a weeping out of joy, a weeping out of fullness, a weeping out of awareness. His hand really is on my life. His favor really is on my marriage. His work really is operational in every detail, in every sphere of my home and my life. And I want to praise you today, Lord. 
It's sweet to come to the mountain, to come to the church with that burden on your heart versus the sin burden on your heart and say, I'm so aware of the blessing of God. I'm here to bless you today. I bless you, Lord. You've been so good. You've been so faithful. I have so much gratitude. I'm so filled with worship today. I want to bless you, Lord. That's what that word bless means. It says, the Lord bless you out of Zion. You are so aware of the blessing of God. You come to church on that day wanting to bless Him. It is to declare a blessing on the Lord because you're aware of the blessing from the Lord. And it's a far different thing. And I think it's there. It's in that place offering that bended knee that the fear of God is solidified. And you come away from that kind of worship experience with the Lord saying, I do want to walk in your ways. Whatever you want me to do, I want to do. Whatever you don't want me to do, I don't want to be. I want to honor you in my work. I want to honor you and be the kind of husband you want me to be. I want to honor you and be the kind of father you want me to be. I have a fear of the Lord. I call on you men today to return to the fear of the Lord if you've not been there lately. To come back to a position where you come under the hand of God and you say, Lord, I've seen your blessing. I've seen your favor on my life. And I, I have a holy fear of God. And I love you. And I respect you. And I want to be the man you want me to be in every way. It's so easy to get away from that. It's so easy to let little things creep in. Small things mess us up. God, give us a church that wants to bless God back because we've seen the blessing of the hand of the Lord. Let's stand together. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray before we sing. <clears throat> Father, it is our desire as we sing in just a minute to bless you, to declare your glory, to declare how worthy you are, how great you are, to worship you because we have seen your blessing it is our desire to bless you Father you are great you have been patient with us you have been faithful to us you've done things we cannot do and we give you glory and we bless you today in Jesus name we pray Amen